Hello, and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Hannah. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Today, we will be talking about the famous Oklahoma, opened in 1943 with music by Richard Rodgers, book and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II, directed by Ruben Mamoulian, and choreographed by Agnes DeMille. It's hard not to go, Oklahoma, every time you say the title of the musical, so this is going to be a long podcast. It's going to be a long <laughs> podcast. I mean, we're, we're going to keep this one under an hour for you guys, but Oklahoma <laughs> is uh, the granddaddy, the grandmammy of all musicals, all modern musicals stem from this show, so uh, we are really going to dig deep into it for you. So I'm sure a lot of people are tuning in for the first time. Maybe they hadn't heard of Showboat, Anything Goes, or Pal Joey, Porky and Bess, or maybe Oklahoma's just a musical that they like, so they're starting here. So just so you all basically know how this show works, what we do is uh, Hannah and I are going to talk about the show, and then at the end of each episode, we review the show. Um, We give it scores from 1 to 10 on was it important, was it good, and is it still good today? Um, And then we give it a ranking based on how high it scores against other shows. And at some point in the distant future, we will use those rankings to do some sort of World Cup-like playoff bracket, including audience votes, and we will crown a greatest musical of all time. So that's, uh, that's something we'll do. Stuff to look forward to. Yes. Um, and so first, before we actually talk about the show, I'll just go into a little bit of the history of how the show got to be. Now, you might think that... Um, a lot of people know that um, Hart, the former partner of Richard Rogers, who worked with Rogers on Pal Joy that we talked about last week, um, Hart died around the time Oklahoma came out. But that's not actually why Rogers and Hammerstein got together. Um, what happened was, as we talked about last week, Hart was a serious alcoholic and very depressed. And um, by the early 1940s, he'd become completely unreliable as a partner. So they only did one show together after Pal Joey, which was called By Jupiter which premiered in 1942, but even as that show was getting put together, Rogers realized that this just wasn't going to work out. Um, So there was an organization called the Theater Guild at the time, not to be confused with the current-day Dramatists Guild, which is a guild for playwrights and songwriters and such. I actually worked for them for a summer. Um, (laughs) Legal intern. Um, Anyway, the Theater Guild was a separate organization which produced a lot of shows, non-profit, I believe, and Mm. they... Um, had put up this show called uh, Green Grow the Lilacs, um, which was from 1931 by Lynn Riggs, set in the Oklahoma Territory, very similar to this show, and they decided this would make a great musical. So they went to Rogers and Hart, said, can you make a musical out of this? Rogers said, well, I sure can make a musical out of this, but let me check with Hart, because he was very unsure if uh, he could rely on Hart to get the job done. Um, Hart was basically like, no, you can't really rely on me. You're right. Um, I give you permission to go elsewhere. Rogers said, thanks for giving me that permission. Rogers went to Hammerstein, whose uh, former partner, Kern, uh, Jerome Kern, was dead. And Rogers and Hammerstein became a thing. I didn't know any of this. This is very interesting. Yeah. And then Hart did die soon after. So um, mm-hmm. Rogers, uh, this is, yeah, Rogers correctly recognized that even for someone who'd always been an alcoholic, he had, Hart had finally switched from being a functional alcoholic to a non-functional alcoholic at this point. It's very sad and unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Um, they oh, we all got Rogers and Hammerstein. We got Rogers and Hammerstein, and remember, Hammerstein was super into serious uh, musical plays because at the time there were musical comedies. We we say today, let's put on a musical, but musical is an adjective. What is musical? Or now it's also a noun, a musical. But it, once upon a time, it was just an adjective. What kind of what thing was musical? A comedy. These shows were musical mm-hmm. comedies, and Hammerstein said. No, I want to make musical plays. I want to make things that can be serious, where the songs are about what's going on on stage, and the song and the dance and the music all work together, and every single thing that happens in the entire night, every dance move, every lyric, is in service of the script. Um, okay. It's sometimes called the, the script angle. That's interesting. So would you, it sounds like, if I may, um, that you're saying Hammerstein is in large part responsible for the tone of Oklahoma being what it is? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Rogers was going in that direction as two, in two, as we can see with Pal Joey, where there were a lot of songs where they actually named characters right. in the lyrics, which is very unusual. Um, like the actual song Pal Joey from Pal Joey, we talked about that. Um, so Rogers was going in this direction as well. So really, it was a perfect storm, him and Hammerstein, to come together. They were both sort of going in this direction, and when they came together, it really made this musical play thing that Hammerstein had been going for for 20 years um, mm-hmm. or more, it really made it pop, and they finally got there. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So basically they got the show together. They got a director, Robert Mamoulian, um, an immigrant from Armenia. He was totally on board with integrating the songs and the skit. They got uh, ballet choreographer um, Agnes DeMille, who was also on board with this um, and she did a dream ballet sequence, which we'll talk about later. And all these people together made an entire musical play where everything that happened was driving the plot forward and in the service of the plot. And it's interesting. Um, well, I want to jump in here and talk mm-hmm. about. I didn't know the director was Armenian. I also just like I'm interested in Oklahoma and the fact that the title was changed to Oklahoma, and it feels like it's so much about I don't know um, Americana, you know, and Amer- sort of like American folklore. Um, but also, it's a play about, uh, I don't know, people with disparate backgrounds who have all essentially immigrated to the same place. Um, so it's just interesting. I didn't know it was an Armenian director, but I guess that makes sense. I mean, we've been talking a lot about uh, musicals of this period and the idea of sort of this, I don't know, um, melting pot of cultural uh, histories. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Interesting. And I, I, I was really interested when I saw that his last name was Mamoulian. My first thought was, that sounds like an Armenian last name. I wonder if he's from Armenia. Was that, in fact, your first thought? Yeah, that was actually my first thought. I, I happen to wow. happen to know several Armenians. I know that the okay. last name ending with I-A-N is often an Armenian last name. There we uh, go. Think uh, Kim Kardashian, loyal audience. There, oh, I see. That is good. Here we mm. are. Or um, Anita, a little pop culture tidbit. Anita Sarkeesian is a prominent uh, feminist person these days. Uh, she does good YouTube videos where she critiques culture from a feminist lens. So lots of Armenians end with I. <laughs> um, shout out to my best friend, Ani Palladian, as well. So there we go. Um, oh, man. We're so really getting into it. And if you think about it, when Oklahoma was written, um, it was written by uh, Jews and, this, and directed by an Armenian. And mm. both of these cultures had just been genocided in the past, like, 30 years. So... Um, I think there's very much this embrace of like, you know, America, this is the place where we're free. This is the place mm-hmm. where dreams can happen. The American dream, go out west, find your own, uh, get yeah. your own land and do what you will with it. And no one's going to stop you. I mean, I'm thinking if we want to jump in a bit, I'm thinking about the song. And we should probably circle back. We'll talk plot. But there's a song in the 
um, middle of the show, sort of at this dance, which is a, sort of a huge event in the plot of Oklahoma, that's all about, um, I don't know, people of different backgrounds dancing together and sort of all being part of their own, um, I don't know, Plains community. What, what's the name of that song? You know what I'm talking uh, about. Oh, The Farmer and the Cowman Farmer should be Farmer and the Cowman should be friends, yeah. The farmer and the cowman should be friends. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends. One man likes to push a plow, the other likes to chase a cow, but that's no reason why they can't be friends. Territory folks should stick together, territory folks should all be pals. Cowboys dance with the farmer's daughters, farmers dance with the ranchers, yeah! Love that um, song. Interesting. Yeah, I just I would have never thought of that song uh, that way. But it's interesting to hear the makeup of the artistic team. Yeah. And to think about, uh, yeah, I don't know, um, the idea of, uh, I don't know, wanting unity or freedom in America um, in this place or coming out of um, sort of like a an optimism post-genocide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hmm. And um, to just wrapping up the what got us to right. opening night... So in tryouts, the show is called Away We Go, which is like a weird name. I don't know why it was called Away We Go, but that's what it was called. Um, it's different from Green Grow the Lilacs, which was the original play's name. Um, the song mm-hmm. Oklahoma also was not in it yet, but um, it was so it was doing kind of well in the New Haven, I believe, New Haven tryouts. Um, hmm. They added the song Oklahoma, and then they changed the name of the show to Oklahoma. And when it opened Good in change. New York, it was an unbelievably huge hit, um, mm. especially for a country that was in the middle of World War II. What everyone wanted was, you know, just Americana, like mm-hmm. a, a show reminding us what this beautiful country is that we were all about to go fight and die for. And mm. this really did that. It really showed off th- the best of America in our sort of, who knows if Oklahoma was ever really like this or not, but in everyone's mind, you know, this is what the American frontier represented. And these were the good people of the frontier and hmm. it, it sort of took away all that cynicism. I mean, the last one we talked about was Pal Joey, which took place in the, in a city, was filled with all these mm-hmm. rich people. It was the most cynical sexual show we've talked about yet. And now that we're in this war, suddenly we have a show that is, you know, Americana, heroes, love, dancing. And it was just <laughs> the, the, the... Well, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, it's interesting because, like, I think in my head I always sort of forget that Oklahoma, I think, does have this dark underbelly. Oh, it totally um, does. Um, yeah. Sort of the whole Judd plot and, you know, like, the way the plot essentially wraps up in the end. Like, I consider it to be um, a very dark musical. And, you know, the, even the extended dream sequence, to me, is, like, very, um, I don't know, uncomfortable and, uh, I don't know, sort of psychosexual in a way that um, reminds me a little bit of Pal Joey, but not in a way that's, like, winking at the audience. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't know, I guess just, I always feel like when I, rewatching Oklahoma, I was like, oh, this show kind of has some teeth in a weird way that I don't think of when I think, oh, Oklahoma, you know? I agree, and I know, I watched yeah. the movie with my girlfriend, and she was kind of not looking forward to it, because she had this conception of Oklahoma as well, she'd never seen it before, right. of it just being, you know, light fluff that, um, mm-hmm. you know, oh, Oklahoma, like, just like goofy <laughs> people wearing costumes, and no, it is very dark and serious, and... I think it holds up extremely well. Mm. Um, I guess, well, okay, so last thing. It, Let's get into oh, it. It um, ran for, the production, the original production ran for 2,212 performances, ran for five years, which just absolutely smashed all the previous records, and it wouldn't be bested, that record, until My Fair Lady in 1956. 
So this was also the first ever show with a cast album that contained all the songs from the original shows that was released. So anyone around America could also listen to this, making it even more of a hit. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just like everything happened at the exact perfect time. All these different developments sort of crystallized in one show. They all came together and just everything worked to make this the biggest hit that had ever happened at that time. And, yeah, I guess now it's time for us to actually talk our way through the show. Yeah, I mean, well, we should say, Jeremy and I watched the movie, the film, from what year was the film, Jeremy? 1955. 1955. Um, I also saw it on Broadway. I saw the most recent revival, which at this point would have been uh, probably at least 15 years ago. How old am I? Who can say? There was a, there was a revival, I think, about 15 years ago. Um, that I saw when I was very young. I think I've also seen it done in a community theater, um, but this was my first time watching the film. Interesting. This was my second time watching the film, and I, I loved it the first time. Um, I still loved it this time, but I probably put it on too late at night, so I was falling asleep pretty hardcore uh, during um, All or Nothing. <laughs> it's true that that's not my favorite song in the show. <laughs> yes, uh, not good at all. We'll get there. Um, I guess start from the top. So yeah, let's get right into it. Um, I wonder if we want to do a synopsis, a little synopsis of the show. Okay, that won't be too difficult. As much as I've been (laughs) raving about how this show is plot-based, plot-based, it's all about the plot. The plot is basically um, a a cowboy is in love with this girl who lives on a farm. She employs a farmhand, Judd. Um, the The cowboy, Curly, wants to take her to the dance, but she sort of says that she'll go with Judd to spite him. And uh, meanwhile, there's another couple of Will and Edo Annie. Edo Annie doesn't know how to say no to kissing lots of boys. Will wants her to be monogamous for him. There's also a traveling peddler from Persia, or maybe not from Persia, maybe he's pretending to be from Persia, named Ali Hakam. And there's a love triangle there, where Ali Hakam sort of wants to get with Edo Annie, but doesn't actually want to marry her. So he's sort of trying to get rid of her and foist her onto Will. And then they all go to a dance. Uh, Judd tries to like kind of maybe rape uh, Lori, the the main girl, and she escapes, goes to the dance, falls in love with Curly. They get engaged. Um, and at their wedding, Judd tries to set Curly and Lori on fire. Uh, Curly jumps on Judd, who has a knife that he was going to stab Curly with, but Judd accidentally stabs himself with his own knife. The court lets... Uh, Curly go free because it was self-defense and everyone lives happily ever after. Did I miss anything? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's more or less it. Um, Spoiler it's interesting. Like, There's plot points in the movie that I remember differently in the stage version, but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, where shall we begin? I love Technicolor. That's where I want to begin. I wish they made movies Great. in Technicolor again. Um, <laughs> the, the reds are so red, the greens are so green. Yellow mm-hmm. stalks of corn. Unbelievably beautiful. Very yellow. Love, mm-hmm. love that good I mean, old... It's true that show does open with us singing about the corn so uh mm-hmm. and the wheat so it is nice that that shot is so colorful i agree oh um, and the opening was super watching the movie or go ahead you go ahead were you about to talk about how the stage version is really revolutionary in its opening no i was gonna talk about how i think the movie is really well made oh it it's is really well shot <laughs> yeah it's absolutely uh, beautiful yeah um, it's also super i mean it's cinematic but it does feel i don't know choreographic in the way that reminds me of a stage picture um, yeah, I mean, I don't remember the musical as well as I might, but it, um, it 
feels like the musical numbers are staged uh, mostly true to how, how it would have felt um, on stage. I guess like it often felt like they zoomed back and we really were getting a stage picture. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciated and I felt like was very useful uh, for me in terms of getting inside kind of how it works as a musical independently uh, from being a film. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain that Agnes DeMille choreographed the film as well as the stage mm. show, so maintains that. She's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was not, yeah. she'd never really done musical theater before, so she brought sort of a professional, like, ballet-ish sensibility into it that Broadway had been lacking. Up until that point, dancing was just, you mm. know, a lot, of, a lot of jazz, a lot of tap, nothing wrong with that, of mm. course. Uh, but this sort of... I don't want to say like that ballet is more serious than other styles of dance, but it's sort of um, the dance was really in service of yeah. the plot here. It, it makes it feel really contemporary to me. Like I, I, I just sort of had forgotten how balletic Oklahoma uh, is. That's a really good point. There's so much sort of like long, expressive um, movement beats in the show. Like there, there are moments that really feels very abstract and expressionistic mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't expect in a musical about farmers called Oklahoma. Um, I have a quote yeah, from Yeah, so it's just like this interesting tension in the piece, I think, between, uh, I don't know, people playing ranchers and farmhands, um, you know, sort of out in the middle of nowhere, um, and there's like a, a real folksiness to it, but then the their expression is very high art for the time. Yeah, because it, um, it, it's, it's like, really fascinating. It's very much like West Side Story, in a sense, um, which was choreographed by Jerome Robbins, who I think uh, learned from Agnes DeMille a lot, um, mm. that... We're, the the really dancing, in a lot of ways, it used to be uh, a musical would just be, you know, like uh, a flimsy story, and then they just sort of break out into song that had nothing to do with it. But now this new style of musical play by Hammerstein, um, it's that when the characters are feeling such emotion that they can no longer just speak, when their emotion overflows, that overflows into song and or dance. Mm-hmm. So the dance isn't like, it's not like these cowboys are actually ballet dancers or the, the mm-hmm. gangsters in um, West Side Story are actually ballet dancers. That's just right. how we, the audience, see what their inner emotions are. We see it through this ballet dance. I feel like that's really, I mean, that's worth noting because I feel like that is the form that is now taught. I mean, anytime you do or see a musical, that's pretty much the assumption, right? Is that, cool, when we are overwhelmed with emotion, we express ourselves in song and dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting because I feel like that wasn't as much the case in some of the past works we've looked at. No, not barely, um, barely at all, if if at all. Uh, here's yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about just Showboat, sort of where we began, and there was a sense of like, oh, I'm going to sing about my feelings now, but um, there was less of like a ladder, or like a ramp up into it. Um, versus in Oklahoma, so much, so much. Um, I mean, sort of both. You have like uh, characters. You have a lot of Lori. Um, sort of pausing to tell us how she feels, but always in a way that I feel like drives the plot forward and sort of teaches us a little more about her character and how she's feeling. Um, But then we also have songs that are, I don't know, totally narrative. Yeah. I mean, I guess we might as well go out of order here. Since we're talking a lot about the choreo, we can talk about the dream ballet. Let's Um, get into it. You know I want to talk about the dream ballet. So I've got a quote from Agnes DeMille. She said, quote, the thing that mattered most with Oklahoma, as far as the dance was concerned, was the way the ballet was so enmeshed with the characters and the plot development that it could not be deleted. Everyone in the ballet was a character in the play, so that the style of the ballet was the style of the play. It was of a piece, Mm. so to speak, and the dancers were of the texture of the play and in style and in content with the rest of the play. This was new, end quote. So take it from her. This was <laughs> this brand new. This was new. <laughs> I love these quotes. Um, yeah, there's so much to talk about. So essentially there's this sequence in the play um, 
Lori's freaking out. She's supposed to go to the the dance with Judd, um, but she likes Curly and she feels conflicted. And um, you know, we're learning slowly that like Judd, I don't know, he's an interesting character. We should come back to him because I have a lot of questions. Um, I think Judd's a really complex character in this play, um, but. Basically, Lori falls asleep and has this extended dream sequence uh, where you sort of see everybody in the town um, and there's all this dancing and there's sort of a push and pull between Curly and Judd. Um, and then eventually Judd uh, kills Curly in the video and then sort of takes um, Lori. I've seen it done when I saw it done on stage. I remember it was um, like a very aggressive moment between Judd and Lori. Um, like I would... I would uh, qualify it as like an assault. Um, in this production, it's it's a it's a little more gentle. Like it's it's a moment of sort of dance and like an embrace that she kind of tries to break out of, uh, which is interesting to me. I mean, I'm interested, and that's another thing to circle back to in sort in terms of like how aggressive is the relationship between Judd and Lori. I've seen it done uh, where it feels I don't know a little more gentle versus like where it's really sexually aggressive. Um, but a lot of that, I think, does turn upon this ballet sequence. Getting back to the ballet sequence. The set. I'm interested in the set for this ballet sequence. In the film, there's, like, this set of stairs that leads to nowhere and just cuts off at a couch literally in the middle of a desert. It looks like a Salvador Dali painting is what I was thinking watching it. Um, so you have this, like, weird, like, dark expressionist set. And then all these uh, people dressed up like they're in Oklahoma at a uh, hoedown, essentially. Um, you have women with feathers coming out of their hair and sort of their, their skirts and their, uh, you have these cowboys, these cowpokes, um, and they're doing like weird hoedown ballet. <laughs> so it sort of switches because first it's like a good old country hoedown, like, like people right. out in the country, girls in sort of demure costumes. Then it switches to uh, the, the girls, because Judd has these postcards of sort of mm -hmm. um, the, the Western equivalent of strippers. I don't know, like, like uh, burlesque. Like, you know, wearing corsets and, and what we would right. think of as sort of turn-of-the-century, vulgar, sultry dancers. Um, and he would look at these pictures in his little room, and they sort of come to life in Laurie's dream, and Judd kind of wants her... She fears that Judd wants her to be like one of those girls, and they're all sexu they're sexually knowledgeable and sort of uh, dancing mm. with the men in a way that we don't see the women and men dance with each other in real life, in the actual real life of the play, where right. everything is much more demure. And Laurie is terrified of this and terrified that Judd is going to take her and make her um, be this way for him. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of like, I guess, like kind of like the dark underbelly of the play. And it, it does, like, kind of turn upon this, and then this dance moment. It feels like it's kind of a character about, uh, excuse me, a, a play about a guy who, I don't know, has, like, a uh, discomfort with his own sexuality or we're supposed to be uncomfortable with his sexuality. Like, maybe he's he's into things that are, I don't know, more sexual than we're, we're supposed to think. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious about, like, that. Like, what is the actual story there? Um, because we're supposed to feel, I think, bad for Judd and then also, like, sort of shame for Judd. Cl Judd clearly feels shame. He has all these pornographic images and he has a line where he asks, uh, he says, I want the real thing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I, I would love to unpack it more. And that's um, that's another thing that I'm, makes this show more of like a real play than just a, a yeah. lightness of comedy. Um, because it has a real villain who you don't like, but he's almost he's usually the villain in these things would just be sort of like a mustache twirling guy, like moi. Yeah, it's not Gaston, though. He's not Gaston. No. 
Um, I read. I have this great book. It's called The Secret Life of the American Musical by Jack Viertel. And um, it's he basically goes through shows sort of number by number, like talking about like how shows are structured, you know, the opening numbers, so on and so forth. And he has a chapter about villain numbers. Um, and just so you all know, there actually is a song, if you've only seen the movie version of Oklahoma, um, there's a song, I think, called In My Own Little Room. No, it's called Lonely Room. It's a song by Judd. Mm-hmm. It was, it's in the stage I version. I do remember this. I think I used to listen to the soundtrack, and I remember the song Lonely Room. And it's, it's very creepy. It's like one of the creepier songs that uh, Rogers ever wrote, almost like the Judge's song in Sweeney. The, the Judge's yeah. song in Sweeney Todd is almost a direct evolution of this. And he's, hmm. Judd is talking about how lonely he is, the floor creaks, the door squeaks, there's a field mouse a nibbling on a broom as I sat by myself like a cobweb on a shelf by myself in my lonely room. Wait, uh, we, let's, play, we have, let's play a clip. Let's play it. Yeah, let's play it. Here let's you go. Let's play it. <laughs> the floor creaks, the door squeaks, there's a field mouse a nibbling on a broom. And I sat by myself like a cobweb on a shelf by myself in a lonely room. All right, so there was a, a clip. Um, very creepy song. Something that Jack Viertel, the author of, of this book, says is... Uh, we are immediately captured by him in a way we didn't think we could be. There's poetry and self-loathing, self, mm. self-loathing in the man in equal measure, and the power of his loneliness seems to have driven him mad. He's not just a baddie, he's ill, maybe more than ill, yeah. as Roger's creepy music makes clear, and the danger that's in him becomes immediately more powerful, more alarming than it has been, because we're tainted by it. We have to recognize him. He has dreams just like any other characters in the piece and just like us. End quote. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I guess that's a good point and kind of answers in some way my, my question from before. Um, yeah, I guess he sort of is, to me, he's portrayed as like mentally ill and sort of, you know, like uh, hurting in a way that we don't usually see, I think, villains portrayed yeah. on stage. Um, Even today. Certainly not up to that point. Yeah, and it sort of feels outside the form of Oklahoma. Like, I don't know, I found myself watching the scene where Curly... Uh, and Judd talk. There's a scene where sort of Curly goes to Judd's weird room um, to kind of just get the picture because he knows he knows Lori's going to this dance with Judd uh, instead, and he's very jealous. And Curly's very handsome, and uh, Judd is less conventionally handsome, I guess, um, and sort of known to be a weirdo. And he's this bit, this big guy, and uh, Curly goes to his sort of shack. And has this really strange conversation with him, uh, during which he essentially tells Judd that he should hang himself, because if he hangs himself, he'll figure out how many people like him. Um, and sort of gets Judd to fantasize about suicide, and they have this weird song about it called Poor Judd is Dead, which is actually one of my favorite songs in the show. Here, let's do like, uh, uh, ten seconds of Poor Judd is great. Dead. Okay. Poor Judd is dead, a candlelight is Looking oh so pretty and so nice. He looks like he's asleep. It's a shame that he won't keep. But it's summer and we're running out of ice. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, and, and I actually, watching the video, like, I found myself feeling really bad for Judd in that scene. Um, just because he's so filled with loathing, and Curly is really just going in on him and telling him what a creep he is, and, you know, what that there's something wrong with him, and why does he stay in his shack? Um, and in the end, Curly sort of threatens him. And it really felt like he was kind of, like, baiting um, somebody who was ill. Yeah, and um, there's a lot cruel. of... There's also Judd also feels very disturbingly real because there's a lot of men even today um, like Judd. If you've ever heard of the incel community, it's called it stands for involuntary celibate. It's really disgusting. There's like a um, you can find uh, they have a subreddit and it's they they basically hate women because they believe like women will never want to get with them because women are you know are terrible and only like like douchey like bros. They call them chads. And these people sort of get work themselves up into this disgusting, uh, misogynist fervor, blaming all women for mm. their own failure, and sort of also putting women on a pedestal at the same time. And it, Judd, it, it's there's a, I mean there's a lot of people like this out in the world. So yeah, you feel like Judd feels interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's just like what a I don't know. It's such a a weird flavor in this sort of like classic Americana musical. A lot of it feels like it's about sexual deviance. And then also we have Lori who like a lot, in a lot of ways feels to me like it's sort of a character who's afraid of sex. Lori. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like her I love think. with, Curly I mean, in a lot of ways like to me, the ballet reads chaste. to me is like her being afraid of sexuality. Um, also like certainly afraid of Judd and afraid of like his intensity. Um, but you were describing earlier, like, she sees Judd dancing with these women and is afraid of being forced to do that. And in a lot of ways, it feels like, I mean, it certainly, like, enforces the stereotype, too, of, like, the chaste farm girl. Um, but, yeah, she seems, like, very fearful of sexuality, which is interesting in a way that, like, we were talking about Pal Joey last week. Um, the women in Pal Joey are not afraid of sexuality. Like, the, the lead woman, um, what's her name? Uh, Vera or... Um, I think it's Vera with the like incredible brassy voice. Yes. Um, yeah, she's like so you know down to clown into it, super sultry. And then we have we kind of have Lori, the romantic lead in the show, who's just like super slim and has this high pitched voice. And um, there's like something I think frigid about her, and a lot of mm -hmm. like uh, oh curly I can't she says they have this great song people will say we're in love and. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Curly sort of makes an appeal for love at the end to Lori, and she says, oh, Curly, I can't. Um, yeah. And that, I don't know. It's, that, just, it's interesting. Interesting dynamic. Um, and Jack Vertel, the guy I mentioned before who has the book about all the different types of songs, calls that a conditional love song, which is sort of Hammerstein's specialty. If you look back mm. at Showboat, there's the song, only make believe I love you. <laughs> and, like, this is sort of the evolution of that. It's like not... It's a love it's, song. I love that. Conditional love song. And you can see it in so the many conditional musicals. conditional love song. It's like before the the main guy and girl are actually in love when they're sort of mm -hmm. talking about if they were in love. And it's it, you see it a lot. And ha you can see it all over Hammerstein's musicals. It's one of his That's favorite That's fascinating. Things. I love that. The conditional love song. I learned something new today. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, um, I think we should talk about Lori's friend. Ado Annie? Um, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Oh, Ado Annie. Um, first of all, if, if yeah, you're watching the know. movie, if you're watching the movie mm -hmm. and you think 
that there's something wrong with that actress's lip because I was watching with my girlfriend Sarah and she's like I think she did her make her lipstick wrong or like something in the movie dye process like makes her upper lip lipstick wrong I looked it up and her upper lip was paralyzed that actress so there you go really fun fact yep paralyzed upper lip so there. I did not know that I will say I didn't notice but um that's interesting I'm gonna have to rewatch now with that in mind yeah. I didn't notice anything weird either but Sarah thought that there was something weird going on and I looked it up and she was not crazy Sarah is Jeremy's girlfriend just so the internet knows yes great um <laughs> yeah Ado Annie um her storyline's not my favorite it's not my favorite either I have some questions <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what I mean, are your I don't know okay there's a couple things um you know I like growing up I remember seeing this musical and my favorite song was uh, I'm just a girl who can't say no I just loved it. I thought it was great and so much fun. And of course, like rewatching it now, it's like it's a little cringy, um, for sure. Um, I mean, it's an old musical, so stereotypes out the wazoo for sure. But you know, we have this character who um, she's fun. She loves to flirt, and in the end, the lesson is like she needs to kind of get her sex- sexuality under control. <laughs> um, which you know, like certainly not my favorite storyline. Um, but I don't know, for the time, you know, I think probably one could argue, I don't know, progressive to some degree. What do you think, Jeremy? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's progressive. It's kind of like they need there to be... <laughs> Maybe a... that, and I might really be giving too much credit. I don't know. I, I, retract. Retra- yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it was necessarily progressive or regressive. I think it's just that they needed there to be a second couple. The second couple yeah. is, you know, it, it was a trope in musicals long before Rodgers and Hammerstein. It is a trope to this day. It's a way to fill out the show, a way to add more characters. Rodgers and Hammerstein, yeah. after this show, got really good at having their second couple sort of reflect back on the main theme of the play. Like in The King and I, mm-hmm. you have Tuptim and Lunta, who are like forbidden lovers, mm-hmm. whose love is messed up by the king. Um, you, you get some really good second couples in a lot of shows in the future. At this point, the comic second couple is very much just its basic... Uh, protean form of you know a comic second couple just to give you laughs and it does provide some right. laughs yeah i mean they're fun um we should get back to this but i will say will has a great tap number in this uh show which i was thinking about earlier because you were we were talking about how tap is sort of the norm in other musicals and this isn't really a tap show it's mostly sort of like expressive ballet meets hoedown um but there's this great tap number in the um Oh, what the Kansas hell City, everything's up. Thank you, can- everything's City. up to date in Kansas City. Um, this is gone about as far uh, as they can go. Doesn't he end up on the top of a train or something? Yeah, or he's like at a train station. Everything's up to date in Kansas City. They've gone about as far as they can go. They went and built a skyscraper seven stories high, about as high as a building ought to grow. Actually, so. A quick note: um, the movie deviates very little from the show, which was kind of, which is mm. very rare for movie mm. musicals of the time and after. But one part where it deviates is it sets like the first five or six numbers all in different places. But in the original show, all of those scenes take place outside of Laurie and Ann Eller's farmhouse, like sort of one after the other. And most interestingly, in the old times, Broadway musicals would sort of start out, there'd be a huge production number with the whole cast and ensemble, or maybe just, you know, a duet, like um, mm-hmm. the one uh, that Sutton Foster sings, The Beginning of Anything Goes, and by Sutton Foster, I mean also Ethel Merman. Um, <laughs> right. But in this, in the original show, Ann Eller is sitting on stage alone, churning milk, just sitting oh, there. obsessed with her also. And, and you She's hear... Great. 
She is great. And then you hear Curly start to sing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning from off stage. You don't even see him there. You're just watching an old lady make cheese or something. And then, like, this cowboy scene from off stage. It was the same exact way that the play started, but it would be unrecognizable to musical comedy audiences. And it just, mm. it really, really changed the game. Like, from the second you walk into the theater, Oklahoma is already shocking and different. Well, I mean, I will say, like, the opening shot, and maybe this is just me being a complete cretin, um, but yeah, it's this old woman making cheese, basically, like, pumping this, I don't know, churning mechanism. I just thought it was a very sexual image to start oh, really? the show. Oh. Maybe that's my problem. Um, yeah, but, I, um, I mean, usually, if, if, like, you think there might be some sort of sexual imagery in a show, the answer is, like, yes, it probably was thought of by the creators, but I feel like in this instance, Rogers and Hammerstein probably <laughs> didn't think of that You angle. think I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a play about... Authorial intent doesn't matter, so <laughs> it can be true in your head. All right. Well, I thought that that was, you know, just a great foot to start off on. Um, <laughs> I totally got us off of the tap anyway, dance. You were um, talking about the tap dance. We are talking about the tap dance, and I want to talk back about that couple. Um, but actually, I think what I want to talk about is, I don't know. Okay, so this actor, not Persian in this film, that's something we need to discuss a little bit. Yes. So there is a, a man playing a Persian, uh, like, peddler walking around o- the Oklahoma Territory selling stuff. I personally prefer it make I mean this is probably me just avoiding the issue. I think if you mm. read him as a white man from America pretending to be Persian to fool the local rubes into buying his mm-hmm. stuff, then that makes it a lot more palatable. Rather I mean I think that that's true. I think that that's definitely true. Um yeah, versus it being like a I don't know, a Persian immigrant who's sort of swindling everyone. Or, you know, and, ver- and also versus it being like, we're watching a white actor play a Persian man in all the... Yeah, um, right. Yeah. I think when I saw it, it was a... I think I saw an actor who was Persian. Okay, then um, I, I, I was actually looking I online to see though. if other people... I read one article about a recent revival of Oklahoma, and the article's well said it. It, they, it was unclear whether it was suppo- the show was supposed to be like a white guy fooling mm. them all. Or if it's just, like, they're trying to pass it off, like, no, everyone, audience, like, this is really a Persian man. Yeah, he's being played by a white guy, but trust us, which is a lot more problematic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you make of that character? I would love to hear your thoughts. Also, I'm going to look up the cast of the revival. Well, he's funny. I mean, the stuff, the way that he goes about in, there's a, there's an, there's a scene, a big scene at the big dance where each woman makes a picnic basket. Yep. that um, the men have to bid on. And some of you listeners might recognize that from the best episode of Gilmore Girls in season two, <laughs> where Rory wants uh, Dean to bid on her basket, but Jess uh, buys it instead, which I think is great, because Dean is like literally the worst, and I much prefer Jess. But I'm only in the middle of season two, so if Jess gets bad later on, <laughs> listener, forgive me, I don't know yet. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. sorry, that was a, a tangent. Um, that was great, great diversion. Yeah, Ali Hockham, I mean, he's kind of funny like i really don't care about the second love couple mm. um especially their final song all or nothing it, that was the point where yeah. i was starting to fall asleep um and actually me and sarah paused the movie at that point went to sleep and then had to watch the rest of oklahoma the next day because all or nothing which is the song where ado annie and will parker finally resolve and she reluctantly agrees to be monogamous with him um, I've had that song stuck in my head right. for like a week now, and it's really unfortunate because it's the worst song. <laughs> and sometimes, um, yeah, it's not a good song. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I um, me and Sarah live together, and sometimes I'll just walk up behind her when she's like doing something else, and I'll just be like, "It can't be now and then. It can't be in between." I, just, I hate <laughs> this. I hate this for you, Jeremy. <laughs> she hates it too. With me, it's all or nothing. 
Is it all or nothing with you? It can't be in between. It can't be now and then. No half and half romance will do. It's so boring. Um, and even Jack Viertel, the author I was referencing earlier, who absolutely adores Oklahoma and like never will say a bad thing about it, says about that song, All or Nothing, still for all its trailblazing fame, it's permissible to find Oklahoma's subplot a little wearying by evening's end. <laughs> uh-huh. And I agree with that. Um, do you have anything um, more I just to say about the Ado? Revival, by the way. Oh. What? Um, do you have anything more to say about Ado, Annie, and Will Parker? No, I have something to say about. Uh, I'm just. I just wanted to follow up on my earlier comment about um, whoever's playing um, uh, Ali. Hawking. Ali, um, which, by the way, I just discovered the version I saw on Broadway. Andrea Martin was playing the aunt. Patrick Wilson mm. was playing Curly. I remember liking them both very much. Um, I definitely am a card-carrying member of the Church of Andrea Martin. Um, the actor playing Ali, however, is Peter Polycarpu, um, who's British. Um, and I can't figure out much more about him, but I remember thinking he was very good. He could um, be British Persian. Yeah, I think that he came with the revival, so I think hmm. he actually did it on Broadway. He's a Greek person. He's a Greek, uh, British stage and TV and film oh. actor. So there you go. Interesting. Um, he's in the television comedy series Birds of a Feather. But it looks like most of his credits are British. Got it. Um, um yeah, but I remember thinking he was very good. I have a loose note just that doesn't really fit in anywhere else. Um, there's a guy Great. who, in the original Broadway show, he played... Oh, so in the Dream Ballet, we should say, um, Curly and Lori in the Dream Ballet are played by dancers who are wearing the same clothing that Curly and Lori did. Right. And the, the dancer who played Curly in the Dream Ballet, and he was also in this movie, not as the Dream Ballet Curly, but just as a minor dancer, is named Mark Platt, spelled the same as... Uh, popular Broadway producer Mark Platt, father of Ben Platt, who just won the Tony for Best Actor, um, and Mark Platt also. Um, the... Wait, wait, he's really—he's the father of Ben Platt. Well, not the guy who was in Oklahoma, like the current oh, day Mark I, I was Platt, truly who's like excited for a moment. Okay, yeah, sorry. I mean, so there's again. a guy. Na- there's a guy named Mark Platt, M A R C Platt, who's like a producer on Broadway in Hollywood right now, who's the father of Ben Platt. And mm-hmm. um, he went to Penn. He, he made the Platt Performing Arts House where what? we rehearsed it. Anyway, um, this Mark Platt is different. That Platt, I did not know any of this. Sorry, we're really getting into yeah, it two, here. Two, anyway. There's two different Mark Platts. They're spelled the same way. This Mark Platt is of no relation to the current Mark Platt and the current Ben Platt. But the current Mark Platt is related to the current Ben Platt, but not to the old Mark Platt. That, I don't know if the audience cares about you that. You heard it here. It's possible we're going <laughs> to cut this from the thing. Anyway, handle Or not, because I think these tidbits are just really useful. Okay. Um, great. Okay, so, I don't know. Let's talk about the aunt a little bit, I think. She's great. She's just great. She's just killing it. Every time on, she's on, on, on stage, killing it. Killing it in the opening. Killing it at the party. There's sort of a lot of the, um, the arc of this story, right, leads up to this... Uh, dance and she just has this great moment where she's just like waving a gun around in the middle of everyone just owning the stage um yeah she's just you know a true baller Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know that i have anything else to add except for that i just really like her (laughs) we we, we, that's good we covered her um surrey on top um i the song Uh, surrey with the fringe on top is probably solely responsible for anyone in it's the only reason anyone in the year 2017 knows what a surrey is is because of this song most likely that's true um, also, I believe, I've heard this, I don't remember it personally, but I, I believe my mom once told me that she would sing this 
to me and my siblings is a lullaby when we were babies. So That's adorable. Because it's that part at the end where they're whispering, which is also really interesting and probably not something that you would have seen on Broadway is that they whisper the whole final verse of the song, which I just think yeah, is cool. I don't know. What is this show? It just feels like, I don't know, it feels like somebody, it feels like if it would happen today, it would be the equivalent of someone being like, oh, like we're going to make this like really um, normal musical, but then we brought in like the weirdest, most experimental dancers and like just did something very strange with it. You know what I mean? It's like they, they revolutionized on every front. They weren't content to just make a yeah. musical play or to make a dream ballet. Like on every single possible way they could revolutionize, they did. Even in ways that might not have necessarily um, held up. And in a lot of ways it did hold up and everything that we think of today as mm-hmm. a musical comes from these experimentations. I mean, it's basically Hamilton, we can say, right? Oklahoma, the same as Hamilton. Yes, I would say that yeah, I mean, there's other, there's probably other super, super <laughs> revolutionary kidding. plays in between, but in terms of, like, super revolutionary musicals, I, I mean, Hamilton, like... You think it's actually on the level. I was being facetious, but I see the point you're no, making. No, I think this is, is way that. more revolutionary it than Hamilton. This is, this is the most important musical You think it's more revolutionary than Hamilton. Yeah, and, and please, listeners, don't think, I don't think Hamilton's revolutionary. I think it's the most revolutionary musical of this century and probably multiple decades before this century. But Oklahoma is the most revolutionary musical of all time. It's completely responsible for every single musical since then. Everything we think of when we think of a musical, like every conception that we have of what a musical is, you know, the songs being about the show, it, it, it all comes from this. This is it. Like, this is it. Like now when we say musical, what we really mean is musical play, not musical comedy. And the reason we mean that right. is because of Oklahoma. Even the musical comedies that exist today have integrated scripts and scores because they have to after Oklahoma. You can't just do, you know, a light, non-script angle musical comedy anymore. Even the comedies have to be mm-hmm. like this. It has to be. Th- this is good. This is good. This is very useful. This feels like a good thesis moment for us. Yeah. Do we have more things to talk about before we start into the scores? I mean, I don't know. Um, like I don't we could, think so. I feel like I've touched on all the stuff I'm interested in. I mean, someone could what make, like, a whole podcast about Oklahoma, and every episode they talk for an hour about a different element of Oklahoma if they wanted to. So like we could keep going forever, but I feel like at this point um, we should probably start with the scores. I think we're getting to that point. I will say I took some notes on my phone when I was watching it. I'm just going to go back through these. Um, I wrote down Judd, sad face, really helpful. Um, I wrote down best part is the old woman looking at the kaleidoscope. <laughs> oh yeah, that was funny. I don't know what moment that is, but do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Anna looks in, the, and then the kaleidoscope later on has like a knife in it, and mm-hmm. there's a real kaleidoscope through line in this uh, in this in this musical. I wrote down tapping cowboys in all caps. Um, I wrote down yes, queen in never a day. Um, oh, I did like that song. There's this really good catty side plot between Lori and Curly's sort of date at the dance. Um, I mean, it's totally, uh, you know, enforcing crappy stereotypes about catty ladies. Um, that being said, they have a great girl fight. <laughs> oh, and there's also a great thing. Judd, at one point, when he's taking Lori to the dance, sort of pulls her away. It turns out he has no intention to take her to the dance. He's going to go have sex with her whether she wants it or not. And she completely takes the reins, oh, kicks him off of his own cart, and escapes on her own. She didn't need to be saved by Curly. Um, That's a really good point. So I thought that, like... Like, she is completely responsible. She chooses Curly. She gets rid of Judd. She has complete agency the entire time. 
it, it, Curly's not really the main character. We never see his inner oh, yeah. thoughts. I guess we should say, like, we haven't talked about Curly at all. I don't care for Curly, to be quite honest. He's sort of, like, Laurie's the main character. We spend, like, 15 minutes on a dream ballet exploring Laurie's feelings and the big choice. Yeah. Like, the person with the agency, the, the only person who makes a choice in this entire show is Laurie. She chooses right. everything that happens. Everyone else is just sort of playing out a script. She's the most fully fleshed out. Mm. So Curly is just kind of like... Uh, like a, a, a guy, you know, like a flirty guy. There's, there's not much to him. This is really the Laurie show. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I do think, like, I find Curly, you know, he's he's handsome and he's he's a crooner and he fits the fits the mold. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't love him as a character. I think, like, the whole play and set is set in motion by the fact that he sort of isn't clear and forthcoming with Laurie. Yeah. So she's like, all right, I guess I'm going to go to the dance with... Judd, this yeah. lonely person on my farm. Um, and then, you know, eventually he's, you know, things turn around towards Curly's way, but like, he doesn't, I don't know, there's not much to him, no. I guess. Like, is, I, I want to say Lori could do better, and if Lori lived in like modern day New York, she could absolutely do better, but come to think of it, she probably yeah. couldn't do better uh, out right. on those fields. I don't know who else there is for her. Yeah, so Curly, yeah. Curly's probably the best. He's basically like, she, Today, I would say you can do better than Curly. Find someone who's better for you. But, like, actually, in yeah. the world of Oklahoma, like, he's really he's really the best that we see. He's it for her, yeah. yeah. He's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad we added that in, because I think that's an important point. And, that, like, uh, yeah, I don't think Curly is, like, the most uh, well-fleshed-out character. Uh, but he is, he is who's there. <laughs> okay, great. Let's go ahead and do this ranking. Okay, so, ranking. So, first... Hannah and I are each going to give this, the musical a score of 1 to 10 on was it important? How important was this musical for uh, the future of Broadway? And mm-hmm. I'm going to go first. I'm giving it a 10. Great. Great. This is the most important musical of all time. It gets a 10. Like, if this doesn't get a 10, then, <laughs> then, then there's no reason to have a 1 through 10 scale. We might as well do a 1 through 9 scale if this doesn't get a 10. This is it. This is the show. Great. I'm going to give it a 9, uh, only because I do think, like, I'm just trying to be difficult, number one, and I know how much Jeremy loves Oklahoma. Um, but also, truly, because, you know, I think it, it did a ton in all the ways that we've outlined, for sure. Um, I also think other musicals we've talked about have sort of been laying the underpinning for that. Um, you just threw away all of your credibility on this show. I did not throw off my credibility. I think that... What's a 10? I feel very comfortable What's a 10? Oklahoma Are you that. ever going to give a 10? What is a 10? Um, we'll see. We'll know when we get there, you know? There's a lot of time left. Um, all right. I'm also like, I don't want it to just be obvious that we think Oklahoma is the best musical of all time. I, I don't, don't think it's the best like. musical of all time. I'm, I would vote against this. I don't even think this is a top five. I don't even think this is a top ten. I just think it's the most important But you think revolutionary? Time. Yeah, I think this is its category. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, to give it a nine and a half. Okay, I'm going to adjust you. my score. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I appreciate and that's you the final. That. That's the final word on that. I very much appreciate that. Um, Great. All right. Yep. Good, good meeting. Okay. Um, was it good? Next. You, you go first. Was it time. good? Was it, so this is how good was it good compared to the other musicals of its time, as opposed to like is it good? Time? I mean, I'm gonna give it a nine. I think it's like definitely excellent, like a huge hit. Um, yeah, I, I think I mean again, like you talked before about like it, it being such a blockbuster right when it came out, um, and I do think like I've certainly enjoyed it probably a lot more than some of the other musicals we've watched. Like we were talking about even just watching the movie, it's like oh this is actually real good. Um, it's not necessarily my thing, um, like it's not my taste, um, and it fe- occasionally feels a little slow moving, but um, that probably affects a later ranking. So I'm going to give it a 9 for Was It Good at its time. 
Okay, yeah, I am also giving it a 10 for Was It Good. Um, and I, 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 like, I'm not saying Oklahoma's my favorite show, but for its time, I sure. mean, it was the longest-running show of all time. Audiences enjoy right. Oklahoma more than any other show that had ever been released, so I don't know how we can say it's not a 10 for Was It Good in its time, when it is the most successful right. musical of all time in its time. Like, this is the 10 10. So you think I should just give it a 10, is what you're saying? Well, I mean, we're different people. Like, I'm not going to force you to... to... <laughs> I'm glad you... I'm glad. All right, well, least... I already changed my last score. I think I need to stay strong. I think I need to give it a nine. And you know what? You you gave nines, double nines to Showboat, and I gave it double tens. Um, so at least you gave this one 0.5 higher, and I think those are probably the two most important musicals of all time. So I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, yeah, I mean, this was just so, so important. Um, and now I guess we're going to mm-hmm, go to... Mm-hmm. Is it good now? Like, if it opened up on Broadway right now, how would it compare to other shows? Um, I mean, so I think this gets into, like, I think it's important to recognize, uh, yeah, totally different metric from the, the previous. Um, and in a lot of ways, it would be up against shows that it informed, which mm-hmm. is interesting, you know what I mean? Like, it would be up against shows that could not uh, be existing uh, in the mode that they are currently without Oklahoma. That being said... Uh, I'm going to give it a, is it good today? I'm going to give it a, uh, I'm going to give it a six and a half. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. actually that might be high. I was, uh, planning on giving it a six because, um, mm. yeah, like today, I mean, this, this show has a lot of things that someone with no knowledge of the history of Oklahoma might go in and say, oh, those are, you know, cliched old things, but they're cliched right. because Oklahoma because started Oklahoma. that. And then yeah. so many other musicals copied Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to get into, in our next couple episodes, we're going to see everyone and their mother jumping on the bandwagon of Oklahoma <laughs> and doing, like, terrible right. Oklahoma knockoffs. Um, for me, I, I mean, I think, like, for me, the reason why it is so high, I think it, without the Dream Ballet, it would be a five. I think with the Dream Ballet, six and a half. I feel guilty that I only gave it a six and that... I mean, that's okay. I feel guilty that I gave it a nine and a half and a nine. So as long as everybody feels guilty. Uh, Jeremy and I are both Jewish. Um Worth noting. <laughs> so we just feel guilt all the time. I think we've already talked about that, right? Uh, we're, are we, we're, we're allowed to change our scores in response to each other. You went up to a 9.5 in response to my urging. So I'm going to give it a 6.5 for Is It Good so that we can't wow. say that Hannah likes Oklahoma more than me. All right. Well, that's good. Great. I feel good about that. We, we um, can't have that. No, I mean, I just think, I don't think that, like, I'm interested in it. I don't really like Oklahoma, if I'm quite honest. Like, I think it, it I, I remember, like, enjoying it, but I think it was a little boring when I saw it. And just, I'm not in as um i don't know excited by the that version of like the cowboy story like i love westerns but um i find like a lot of it to be kind of slow moving um but i don't know i'm interested in it kind of as this weird psychosexual cowboy story so like i think that there's a production of it that could be really interesting today um where that's honed in on more i think you know and if we like try to apply some of the like the hard edges to it that we see at the time it came out you know like what would happen if there was even more modern dance i don't know what were you gonna say i you know what you've convinced me i'm gonna go back down to a six actually uh because no because you know what oklahoma it's it's the most important musical of all time but it's also way too long the adoani will parker stuff i don't care um great it, it there's so much room for improvement in it that doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact that it was the best musical of all time in 1943, but in 2017, right. um, it's, a, it's like a 5.5 or a 6 for me. It's better than average. I would go. If it was on Broadway or off-Broadway, I would go, but there are so many other shows that would mm-hmm. interest me much more, and I don't feel right. any 
need if there was never an Oklahoma revival for the rest of my life that's okay I'm content that the only live version I've seen was at Lincoln Hall Middle School starring Aaron <laughs> starring Aaron Ruderman as Curly I'm totally shout out okay with that all right um, okay let's wrap it up let's, let's wrap, wrap it up, up. our work here okay is uh, so total score for Oklahoma is 51 which is nine points higher than Showboat the previous leader so Oklahoma with a mm-hmm. commanding lead right now it's in all right seed number one doesn't mean that it will beat all those other things in our eventual uh broadway battle broadway binge battle but for now oklahoma binge battle is number one Uh, okay any do you have any last words about oklahoma no i don't know Uh, oh wait the only thing that i will say on the topic is oklahoma yeah (laughs) um yeah, wait, I had one quote that I'll, I'll close us out on from uh, Roger, for, from Mr. Hammerstein. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hammerstein said, um, there are a few things in life of which I am certain, but I am sure of this one thing, that the song is the servant of the play. And we're going to oh. see a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein coming up, um, and we're going to see a lot of the song being the servant of the play. And the first time... We're going to see that is with um, one year later, 1944, with On the Town by Leonard Bernstein. Oh, man. I'm excited to talk about that. All right. Great. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Um, I'll just uh, say some little thingies. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> uh, be sure to check out our website at broadwaybinge.podbean.com, where you can leave comments on each episode and find photos and video links. And we would very much appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, which will help new people to find the show. And if you're enjoying Broadway Binge, tell a couple friends about it. Tell two different people, and let's uh, grow the Broadway Binge family. All right. um, No movie for if you guys are keeping up and trying to, like, watch along with us. uh, The On the Town movie isn't really have much to do with the musical, so don't bother with that. Maybe give the soundtrack a listen before next week's episode if you're curious. Great. All right. All right. Over and out. Bye. And the we belong to is grand. And when we say, no, we're only saying you're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma.